0: It's Wednesday, August twenty fourth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Jason, happy to have you here. Hey now, and we've got a lot to talk about together. Of course, we haven't been one on one in the studio in a minute or two. I've missed you. it's all, well, it's all it's Taylor Muckerman. While, it's all Simon Erickson. Well, and these are nice surprises too. Like often. Oftentimes, I'm on
1: the schedule for Monday's foolery. I basically am on call for the rest of the week if we come into a situation where we need some help. Mm-hmm. Then we kind of wrap it up on Fridays with monthly Fool Money. So, you know, when I come in and I get that slag
0: message from you asking me to join you for market foolery. Right
1: you know, my day's kind of made.
0: A little little bit brighter. I like it. And we're all the better for it. So, Earnings season is slowly winding down here, so we're going to take a look at the news today. One of the big headlines out there uh, is about Tesla. Tesla announced that they have created a larger battery. For their cars, which means that the Tesla Model S is now the third fastest car in the world. It goes from zero to 60 miles per hour in 2.5 seconds. Uh, The Model X goes faster as well uh, with the addition of this newer battery. Uh, Jason, before we dive too deeply into Tesla's business and what this means for it, I guess my question for you is does it matter? Does it matter that (laughs) uh, Elon Musk's cars go fast? Does it matter that Tesla is making a bigger battery? Why should I care about this? So, yes, it
1: matters, and no, it doesn't. I guess when you're talking about this car being the fastest car in the world, I care exactly 0.0 where that's concerned. I mean, I could not care less. And I don't think uh, I mean, perhaps that's a testament to the to the capacity of the battery. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's what that is, um, and, and maybe the masses out there really do like the fact that they have a chance at owning the fastest car in the world. But Mark, we live in a country here where there are speed limits, and speed <laughs> limits typically exist in most places in the world. Sure, um, I've driven in a lot of places in the world, including Cairo, Egypt, and uh, Astana, Kazakhstan, where. While traffic laws are maybe not as closely followed, that doesn't mean that having the fastest car is going to make it safer. Sure. So, bottom line, there I don't care how fast it goes. <laughs> what I want to know is that the battery range is going to get better. Right. right. I want to know that the car is going to be safe. And and if we're going to make this move towards self driving vehicles, I want you to at least convince me that there is some. Potential there that it will be unhackable because mm. I just have sort of this nightmare scenario of like rush hour beltway traffic here in DC and like thirty cars get hacked and just you chaos, wreak chaos sure. all over the road. So I think that I mean, I Musk obviously loves the spotlight. He obviously loves himself. <laughs> I mean, he loves what he has to say. I mean, we I love mean,
0: we love listening to him. I, yeah, I think, think he's.
1: I've I've always been on record. I, I'm pro Elon Musk and what he's doing, and I'm always. Pulling for him to succeed. I think the world needs more people like that. Um, With that said, uh, you know, when he puts these kinds of things out, I I care more about the battery capacity and, and advancements there as opposed to how fast the car goes. But I also get that he's creating a lot of. Press and ginning up a lot of excitement there, particularly when he gets out there and he uh, throws a tweet out there at the beginning of the day, saying, "Hey, we've got an announcement coming up in like three or four hours." And then obviously, Twitter catches fire because this is not just investors, right? I mean, there are mm-hmm. Tesla fanboys out there, fangirls, and and people that just generally speaking um, want to see things like this uh, succeed and move forward. And so, I, I think that's all great. Um, I think it matters ultimately the
0: battery capacity, right? And that's the, ba- the biggest hurdle. Absolutely, and the battery capacity. For those out there uh, who don't know, so this new battery, it's one hundred kilowatts per hour. Uh, the last couple of batteries. 60 kilowatts, 75 kilowatts, and the most recent one was 90 kilowatts. Now, the 100 kilowatts, uh, it's going to obviously increase the price of these cars as well. Now, you can go from 60 kilowatts, which is $66,000 for a Model S, to 100 kilowatts, which is $134,000 for the Model S. uh, And it's even higher for the Model X, it's $135,500. So these cars are not cheap. Mm-hmm. But to to the earlier question of it doesn't matter that they're fast. Well, the other two fastest cars are the Ferrari La Ferrari and the Porsche 918 Spyder. I, I'm, I don't even know what those cars look like because they're so expensive and so rare. Meanwhile, at least the Model S and the Model X again, hundred thirty four, hundred thirty five thousand dollars. It's not cheap, but it's certainly a lot more attainable than those supercars like the Ferrari La Ferrari. <laughs> so again, is that really going to matter? For those for those buyers out there who are deciding between a Ferrari LaFerrari and a Model S uh, that goes just about as fast but is a tenth of the price, uh, is that going to drive up sales at the end of the day? Is it really going to affect the bottom line before we even get to the the battery capacity here? Yeah, I think I think you have a you have an
1: audience out there of of consumers that can afford cars like these that want. To purchase cars that are this high end and, and that you know aren't going to have really a problem being able to sort of finance that, and, and I think at the end of the day that's all fine and dandy. I mean I think what we have to realize with Tesla, when you look at Tesla as an investment, mm. um, I mean you want to understand. I mean we talk about this all the time. Are you looking at it as a car company, a battery company, an energy company? What? Um, I don't think that I think if you want to be an investor in Tesla and you're looking at it as a long-term sort of story, you certainly don't want to be looking at it as a luxury car maker, right? Because that is a very limited audience, um, and you can only grow so much. And the stock today really is telling us that the market views this as a as a car company, a battery company, and an energy company that's really sort of building its way tor- towards being able to. Uh, Have have enough appeal uh, and pricing points for the masses uh, where where we can actually see some serious adoption and more and more Teslas on the road. I mean that's the idea at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So um, I mean again I think this is all it's very very easy for them to say okay let's go ahead and just start on the high end start at the high end and really uh, create some noise try to develop some of the greatest technology we can, because we already know it's going to cost a lot of money, and it's going to be cost prohibitive for a lot of uh, customers out on the road. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate goal at the end of the day for them is to be able to build cars that will attract uh, a broader consumer base. And I think they'll get there. I think it just takes a lot of time to do. And I think that, you know, when you look at vehicles, I mean, just a lot of cars on the roads today. We've seen just over the past couple of years alone, the past few years really, with Ford, with GM, with the majors out there, they've been throwing a lot of incentives to get folks to buy new cars. And so, with gas prices as low as they are, and the fact that you buy electric vehicles, there's still not quite the infrastructure there, the technology's not quite as proven. And so, I think there is still enough skepticism out there when it comes to the masses, that's going to be a hurdle for Tesla to clear. But, again, I think it just takes time, Mm -hmm. uh, and and they're doing the right things to get there. It's just, again, as an investor, this is one of those things where you have to be able to truly look further out than most any other investment that
0: you probably have in your portfolio. It's definitely a long-term investment. And one of the things that investors are really you know, ANSI for, is what you said, a, a vehicle for the masses. And that vehicle is supposed to be the Model 3, which right. is supposed to be a bit more affordable, you can produce it in mass volumes. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, Tesla's answer to all these questions, which again, Makes me wonder. I understand what you were saying before about how Elon loves the spotlight and getting attention for his company is never a bad thing. Obviously, having one of the fastest cars in the world, it probably doesn't hurt, you know, to have those headlines. But and this was a great quote from a CNBC analyst earlier. Uh, this is. And these are incrementally incrementally better cars with incrementally better range and power, and those are incremental improvements for the company. What Tesla needs more than an incre- incremental improvement these days is the model three yes so when I mean, when, <laughs> when does that happen I, we, it feels like we've been sitting on our hands for so long waiting for this model three to come out and as you said it's a long long process to produce a new car let alone a car based on new technologies uh, like all of Tesla's cars are uh, but again why should we care about having a faster version of a car we've already seen when what we really want as investors is this mass-produced car just give us the model three already I, I don't disagree there I mean it's again I
1: don't care about how fast the car is mm-hmm. I feel like um I, I I want an affordable car that is gonna be able to to run on electric technology and I want you to bring that uh, to market as quickly as possible I mean we've read I think a number of times where musk perhaps has this track record of sort of over promising mm-hmm. and then under delivering and I don't. I mean that in sort of a nuanced sense. He just sort of promises these goals, either on a timeline or a volume basis, that he's never quite able to fully achieve. And that's that's really not to knock him. I mean, I, I think that uh, there are only a few people probably on the planet who can really pull off what he's doing, and, and he's doing it famously. And, and I, I think that we need to give him the runway to get it done. I think that. Uh, All we can do is give it time. I guess. I mean they have the Model Three. It is in fact under it's being developed. I mean, it's supposed to be delivered somewhere in the neighborhood of two thousand and eighteen or so. They've taken a lot of deposits and I think those are all great signs. I think those are the early adopters. I think just like with any of these any of these sorts of of movements, you're gonna see a lot of the early adopters jump in there and then there's gonna be a wave sort of quiet until until those early adopters really can show sort of the benefits of, of the products that are being developed. In, right. in this case it'll be the Model Three. So I think that once we have a, a big enough consumer base that can actually sit there and and give the Model three and technology like that the green light and say, hey, this is good stuff, typically human behavior is such that the masses will go ahead and jump on board. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a matter of having the the capacity to to build that many cars. That's a problem for them right now. I think they're going to continue to have some challenges on the capital front. And and if this merger with SolarCity goes through, which it sounds like it will be, it's going to make it a very uh, difficult company to fully understand. Mm -hmm. And so, I think as an investor, you either buy into that and take a big leap of faith here, or you just sort of sit on the sidelines like I do and really follow the story and enjoy it and learn from it. Hmm. Uh, And then hopefully, when my kids are old enough, Maybe there'd be some cool uh, electric
0: car technology out for them. A lot of hope and wait and wishing for <laughs> yeah. Tesla. But I imagine we'll talk about it a lot in, <laughs> in the meantime. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure. We'll have plenty <laughs> to talk about. Uh, let's talk about something else now. Uh, let's take a look at some of the other headlines around uh, the globe. One of the big headlines is that Tim Cook has reached his five-year anniversary as CEO of Apple today. Um, one of the headlines that caught my eye, because it summarizes pretty much all the other articles out there quite succinctly, it's by the USA Today. It says, Tim Cook at five years more profits, less innovation." I think that's that's pretty <laughs> accurate. Uh, uh, Jason, you were on CNBC the other evening uh, talking about this. What's your take on Tim Cook at five years? How have these last five years looked for Apple with Tim Cook at the helm?
1: Yeah, I think if you're an investor in Apple, which um, I'm not, my daughters are, mm-hmm. so this is for them and for every fool out there that owns Apple shares. If if you just look at the numbers since Tim Cook took over, uh, you've you've done well. Mm -hmm. Shares are are, have better than doubled. They've beat the S and P benchmark, and I think that he stepped into probably one of the most difficult situations anyone could step into. Some may argue it was it was a bit easier because so much of the success was already set up there. I mean, ultimately the iPhone has been sort of this lightning in a bottle concept, this product revelation that has. Dictated Apple's true success to date. I mean, that has been by far and away the biggest needle mover for this company. And so he stepped into a difficult situation. I think in that there were a lot of expectations already at the time about hmm, what's next? If you know Steve Jobs can can innovate and bring this iPhone to the market, boy, what's going to be next? Because wow, just it could be the sky's the limit. Sure, and. So I think Tim Cook has probably had a pretty big target on his back from that perspective and people just sort of wanting to criticize him and saying like oh you just couldn't do what Steve Jobs did. No, I mean he's not the innovator that Steve Jobs was. I don't think that's the way. you're If you went in there with those expectations, then mm-hmm. you went in there with with inappropriate expectations. I think that Tim Cook has been. He knows this business very well. I think he's managed the situation very nicely. I think that he continues to focus on setting himself up with creative people and setting the business up as a as a place where creative, uh, innovative people want to go. And right. I think as long as he can continue doing that, I think Apple is going to succeed. Uh, it's just that. Now we're kind of left wondering what comes next after right. the iPhone, and I don't know that there's. Ne- I don't think there's necessarily a clear answer there. I think that, uh, he. I I think it, what they said he 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 he's brought one new product to market. I think since he since he and it's started your favorite it up, it's, product. Well, yeah, and I mean, I been, obviously. Been on record already with my feelings on the Apple Watch. And, and it's neat technology, but I don't think it was revolutionary. And I don't think it's anything that really changes anyone's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what we're kind of looking for from them. And I don't know that necessarily it's so plainly obvious, but what they can do, and I think that what he will do, uh, is continue to focus on leveraging that huge installed base out there. All of those folks that are already using iPhones, iPads, Mac computers focus on that service side of the business. Mm -hmm. They're working on a run rate now of about $25 billion a year in in the service side. Uh, Now, when you compare that to $220 billion that the company uh, brought in revenue a year ago, then that's not really that big of a percentage of it today. But it's growing, and it's growing fast. And I think there's big opportunity there on the services side. I think Apple Pay, is another area where I think that Apple could do a better job in really educating not only consumers, but really merchants on the benefits of it. because Mm. It seems like it's more secure. It's pretty simple to use. Um, The biggest problem I've seen to date is that most merchants don't know that they actually can use it. Uh, So, if you go in there and you ask someone, hey, do you have Apple Pay? They kind of look at you with sort of this blank (laughs) stare and not really Knowing how to answer it, that's a problem because yeah. I think uh, <laughs> Apple gets a cut of every transaction that happens there. So I think there are opportunities there, and I think that ultimately the legacy that Tim Cook can leave is going to be more of uh, more on the capital allocation side, figuring out a way to really take advantage of Apple's huge balance sheet and putting that to work in neat ways. We hear all the time talk of, Apple should just buy a Tesla. That would take care of every capital need right there, and they could just do phenomenal things together. I think there's probably a point to that. Hmm. Um, I think if they wanted to be a part of helping grow the solar option, I think that would be neat too. Um, I do appreciate the fact that Tim Cook got out there and sort of Put it out there for all of our politicians here to sort of soak in and, and uh, ponder in, in regard to the balance sheet and, and the fact that most of that money is overseas right. and that he's not going to bring it back until they feel like there's a fair uh, taxing scenario there. And and I agree with him. Your patriotism is not measured in dollars. I I, I think that. Our politicians would be very wise to try to figure out a way to to work out some sort of a tax holiday or something of that nature that would help companies like Apple, Microsoft, IBM bring a lot of that capital back. Shareholders would benefit mm-hmm. in the form of repurchases and dividends and whatnot. The companies would benefit in being able to put that capital to use in new ways. Um, so I think I think all in all, he's been he's had a target on his back for the last five years, and, and he's maybe made some moves that we've all been able to critique at some point or another, but. I, I can't help but get
0: could, passing could, marks on all fronts. Right. Could you have done any better? I, could I have? I cannot I mean, imagine so. He, like you said, <laughs> he was handed this incredibly difficult situation, You know, taking over a founder-led company when the company is Apple and the founder is Steve Jobs, I mean it doesn't get tougher than that. But I think you said it very well. You hit on a lot of different points there. Uh, something else to mention too: We're talking. I was talking to Chris Hill uh, before the show, and he mentioned that Tim Cook, while he has fallen short of the innovation that Steve Jobs had, uh, he has far surpassed Steve Jobs in a lot of areas. And I think it can be best summarized as leadership and being open to Wall Street. Uh, Tim Cook, he was around. He was the one who brought Apple a, a dividend. He gave Gave shareholders that dividend a couple of years ago. He's a lot more open to Wall Street. He's a lot more open to interviews. I think you're referencing the Tax Haven interview with Washington Post from the other week. He's Again, like you said, he took over a company that was The company itself was not a difficult in a difficult situation, but his situation sure. was certainly difficult, and he has certainly done well with the last five years with Apple. You can't be upset if you're a shareholder. To your point, the next five years are really going to be when his legacy is established. You know, he has carried the banner of Steve Jobs and Apple forward. Uh, done a great job there. Now, where is he going to take the banner of Apple with Tim Cook? And, yeah. and I think your point of, of uh, him focusing on services, Apple services segment uh, is huge for them. That's another area. Steve Jobs famously did not care for the services side of Apple's business. He only wanted to focus on hardware. Uh, he was against the App Store, and the App Store is huge for Apple. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty interesting sort of scenario to, th- to think about. And, and, and I mean,
1: Perhaps, I mean, certainly, Steve Jobs knew. I mean, at some point, that Apple was going to become sort of commoditized. Sure. Um, I mean, we're we're witnessing that now, and that with this, just every every device in the world, they're they're facing these these competitors with with all of the Android devices out there. I I mean, they're even facing um, competition from Amazon on the device front today. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody would have given that even a second thought, probably. Three years ago. Um, I mean, Amazon is device wise was just really the Kindle. And sure. the Kindle e reader is a phenomenal product. But when you look at the Fire TV, the Amazon Echo, those kinds of things, I mean, Apple probably hasn't uh, taken advantage of the, of the connected home front as much as they probably could. But I don't think even Steve Jobs could have prevented the commoditization of those devices. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to lose. Pricing on those at some point, particularly as you expand geographically. So then it's a matter of saying, okay, well, let's take this to the next level and let's really figure out how to monetize these devices uh, and sort of take a page out of the old book of Jeff Bezos. Right? We don't care about making money on the device that we sell you. We want to be able to sell you a device that then is going to prompt you to spend a lot of of money with us on an ongoing basis. Yeah, stay in and, the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's a big opportunity there. But but again, I think I think the the going forward the next five years, even beyond, this big opportunity for him in 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 ways to sort of allocate a lot of that that capital, the balance sheet that Apple
0: has, great opportunities there. It's just going to be interesting to see what they decide to do with it. Interesting to watch Tesla. Interesting to watch Apple. Uh, interesting to hear from our listeners on Twitter. You posted on Twitter uh, that we were going to be taking some questions uh, on the show today, and that's exactly what we're about to do. Uh, for those of you who are listening now or even watching live on Periscope, just so you all know, uh, we've been trying to do a lot more of this Recently, you know, sure. get some, some live elements uh, into the show here, get some interactions with our members. Uh, to wit, we're going to be doing a live Facebook uh, show uh, tomorrow. So, nice. Market Foolery at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be live on Facebook. If you want to tune in, just head on over to Facebook, look for the Market Foolery page or the Motley Fool pages, uh, and you'll be able to find us there. But, for now, Let's focus on the Twitter questions we have here. Uh, Twitter question number one. Uh, let's start with Swedish car 850 who asks uh, he, or excuse me, he or she is a longtime admirer of BOH. What is BOH again? BOH, I believe, is Bank of Hawaii. Bank of Hawaii. Yeah. And do we know anything about the new IPO for FHB? It's niche, but I wanted to ask. So FHB is more Hawaiian banks, right? First Hawaiian bank. yep. Mm-hmm. And what's the story there with the IPO?
1: Uh, so this IPO that that just occurred here at the beginning of the month, um, CEO of First Hawaiian Bank, Bob Harrison. He's been with the bank since 1996, so he obviously knows the business very well. I think that Hawaii is a very interesting, unique market in that it's so isolated, mm-hmm. right? I mean, once you get out there, there pretty much is just nothing else around you, and so they have to be very uh, sustainable out there. And and I think the banking. Uh, environment there is one where I think the, the the main four banks there have like 90% of the market. So, so First Hawaiian Bank uh, is one of those very strong deposit um, structure there with somewhere in the neighborhood of $16 billion in deposits a day. Uh, the majority of that is all based in Hawaii, and they have a very uh, good relationship commercially with, with many of the big businesses out there in Hawaii. And so, I think that, um, I typically like to kind of give IPOs a little time to shake out sure. and, and see how these companies report and whatnot. But I think that when you look, if you are looking for a, a Hawaiian bank, mm-hmm. uh, this is definitely one to keep in mind because it's one that's going to more than likely continue to hold that that market share that it has out there for some time to come, and seems to be uh,
0: very smartly led as well. Okay, uh, next up we've got at JC one two three four XX who asks if possible sometime how about discussing Twilio. Thanks, as always, for the great stuff. Jason, your thoughts on Twilio? Twilio. Another IPO, right? Mm-hmm, That's yeah. one um, that sort of hit in the middle of a very
1: sort of dead IPO season, so it right. got a lot of headlines. And it's a tech company, and it's something in regard to cloud and communications and whatnot. It's hard for me to define and describe exactly what they do, which kind of gives me a little bit of pause right there when it comes to these tech companies. <laughs> it's not to say that Twilio can't do well. Uh, it very well may. But I think when you look at a lot of The qualities that the that exist today in the market, and this is through no fault of their own. I think it's more just the nature of the IPO and in a business sort of getting its public footing underneath. Um, Very big private equity interest out there at at today's uh, in in today's market, which means at some point that that is going to be sold off. This Hmm. private equity is going to want to realize the profitability there. Um, Very low float. Uh, so there there aren't a lot of shares that trade day-to-day, which means it can be very volatile in some, in some cases. It's not profitable. It's not cash flow positive. So, there's a lot of optimism there, and it very well may be a business that, uh, in the long run, performs well. But I can't imagine a scenario in the next year where this stock isn't lower, hmm. especially when you consider how high the market has gone here over the past Year six months. I mean, really, the market has been doing very well. So, from an IPO perspective, they've done great. The stock is obviously taken off. But given what they do, and given sort of the the signs there that you get with with typical new new IPOs, I'd give this one a little time to shake out, get a better understanding of what the business does. If you feel like it's a business that has a great future, learn what they do, figure out what their competitive advantage is, and figure out why they can do it better than anyone. And if you can identify that. Then just keep an eye on it because the valuation right now is a bit out there. I mean, it's it's trading at something like 20 times sales right now mm-hmm. for comparison's sake. And I mean, there are different businesses, but Facebook is at around 16 times sales, Twitter's at like five times sales. With a business that's not profitable and not cash flow positive, trading at that kind of a valuation, I would avoid it like the plague. <laughs> but if you like the business, keep an eye on it and wait for the valuation to come back.
0: Watching and waiting. Okay. Uh, what about at Patrick M. Ford? Uh, Question: What about LGF becoming less confident in them, but STRZA merger is intriguing? I love, what is how, that? We, I love how we talk in tickers. I, I, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of that. I actually love that the Fool uh, on Fool.com and all of our sites we try to avoid talking in tickers because yeah. I have no idea what this guy is asking about. What is LGF? What is STRZA? And what does it mean? Yeah. Well, thankfully, you know, they're working in the uh, the, the
1: Twitter sphere where you obviously short have hashtags you and your dollars. It, yeah. and it, but I think that your point's a good one. We talk. A lot about the businesses behind the tickers. We don't view them as tickers; we view them as businesses, and there's a there's a big difference there. But um, he's talking about Lionsgate, and Mm -hmm. I think that Lionsgate, um, I I equate Lionsgate basically to something like a DreamWorks Animation. I mean, it's it's in in the business of getting movies and content out there, and I think when you look at them separately, Lionsgate and Stars. Probably two businesses there that you would see the sort of the the history of of revenue growth and think, eh, there's (laughs) nothing really there. It's pretty flat, it's not all that inspiring. So consolidation in this sector makes sense. Take advantage of scale. Take take advantage of the biggest distribution network you can get, and I think that's the point behind this uh, this merger. Not to mention the fact that John Malone is helping kind of spearhead it, and Mm -hmm. that dude is like everywhere in the media space, and he (laughs) really knows how to make a lot of money doing it. Um, I think he's going to be involved in this combined entity in some capacity. So perhaps there is something there. personally though i look at something like this i feel like there are easier ways to make money i would i would look at something like disney first before this mm-hmm. before or after the merger but uh, again Certainly, the market has been kind of sour on them. Uh, separately, maybe together, they'll be uh, a little bit more fruitful.
0: A little bit synergy never hurts anybody. Okay, uh, last question. We've got at Riddle JT4 who asks, uh, "Is the jump of the past few days the start of a short squeeze for Bofi? That's Bank of the Internet, Bank of the Internet. If I understand Twitter speak correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they haven't been doing so well, or excuse me, they have been doing so well uh, the last couple of days. Likelihood of a short squeeze? I would
1: think in this case, probably very likely to at least an extent. This is a business that has a lot of sort of baggage that comes with it because of some legal issues, I think some questions about the business model and, and management. Um, now, whether that all shakes out one way or another remains to be seen, but what it results in is a business that has an extremely high short interest. So, you look at the float, the shares that trade on the open market today, almost half of that float is short. Wow. And that's a lot. Yeah. Because, ultimately, what you look at is if a business like Bank of Internet then turns in a nice quarter, or, or sequentially a bunch of nice quarters, and the market starts to believe in the business, well, all of those short positions they start having to cover mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And when they have to cover that short position, that means there's a lot of buying which which is going on, which that buying then pushes that stock price up higher and higher and higher. Um, I think generally speaking, Bank of Internet is a uh, it, it's, it's an interesting business. I like the thought that they're sort of uh, steering away from that physical banking structure mm-hmm. and just focusing on utilizing technology as, as their strength. I don't use any of their products. I probably never will. Um, but that's not to say that they don't have a future. And, and I think that what we saw this past quarter, it seems like the business is still growing. Not growing maybe as fast as it was a couple of years ago, but I think it's still growing. And I think that once they can sort of put any and all legal questions behind them, uh, you'll probably see that short interest come down. But yeah, as of now, I would think that's a short uh, short squeeze to a degree at least.
0: All right. Twitter questions. That went pretty well. <laughs> hey, you got to love it. We should I mean, keep when you have a that. listener base that actually. Gives you questions, Actually hey, listens. that means people are listening. And that is important. All right, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.